This is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Wire, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Not just pitchers and catchers, everybody has arrived. Today is reporting day for the full squad and how wonderful it is. We'll be down there on Monday for the full week. Maura, Justin, of course, Brock will all be down there. Looking forward to spending a full week. The weather doesn't look like spectacular at the moment, so I'm going to try not to complain about it because I know nobody cares and nobody feels bad for us. But let's just say that the weather app on my phone is getting a bit of a workout right now as I... Trying to make sure that we get some warm weather while we're down there. Shannon Dreyer is already there. Shannon, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. And it is. It's chilly this morning, but I guarantee you'll see some substantial sun while you're down here. Better. That's uh, that's important. Uh, What is the vibe? Overall, when you're there, what does it feel like? Um. You know what? There are so many people in camp right now that I, I think it is. A little bit, I don't want to say chaotic, but it is a little overwhelming to see the number of people who are here. (laughs) But the vibe that you get is a vibe that they really haven't had in a few years. You you get the vibe of a group that's established, that they know what they're doing, that they are uh, comfortable where they're at right now. And when you talk to guys, it is very much still on their mind what happened at the end of last season and that they are focused on you know, taking it further this year. So I think you've got a very determined group out there. It feels like this is more stability than I can remember during my, what is it, 14 years here or whatever. Does it feel that way when you're there? Yeah. And you know what? It's not just in that there hasn't been a lot of turnover or additions, because right now there are in the clubhouse. They'll be gone because you can only have 26, obviously. But I think it's also because there's stability in the messaging, in the programs, in learning. Uh, You've seen a lot of buy-in in the last two years in particular. And so I don't think that when you get to spring training and you're trying to sell something new, I don't think that's a battle anymore. The guys that are there have seen that the processes that the Mariners use have worked for them. And so that when new players come in, they kind of jump on board with it pretty quickly for the most part. So I I think there's stability in different ways and that, you know, you've got an established coaching staff. Stephen Vogt is is new, but they have not really added anybody in two years right now Mm. other than him. And, you know, Scott service is now one of the longer tenured managers in, in baseball. And so he's sure of himself right now, Pete Woodworth coming off uh, the coach of the year in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the stability is not just in the faces in that clubhouse. It's in the entire organization in the group and really having established who they are, what they do, and how they do it. What's the loudest thing you've heard there? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, I did not have that. Not yet. I'm still waiting to see a Teoscar Hernandez batting practice, and I'm hoping that that's going to be the loudest thing so I, I think I'm going to have to kind of uh, kind of limit it right now because I've only been here for one day uh, but you did hear uh, you know some pretty electric fastballs in the bullpen and uh, the pop of the glove 
uh, when a couple of the pitchers were up on the hill yesterday. Yeah, I, I was wondering. I, I, I like the question because I thought it could take you to you know the the pop of the mid or yeah somebody who was loud. I saw Julio uh, hitting the ball deep off of was it uh, Isaiah Campbell yesterday. So th- this team has the possibility of being loud, plus some guys chirping at each other as well in in a good way. Uh, how how does that noise feel in terms of just sort of people being excited to be around each other? It's good. You know, in addition to that is Tom Murphy is back. He's one of those guys that is loud and, you know, the attaboys and in and, and the bullpens and whatnot. You hear that a lot more than you did when he was out. Jay Eugenio Suarez, you know, this time last year was not in the clubhouse. He's one of those loud guys in the clubhouse and a good loud guy, a good, happy, loud, good vibes type-ish guy uh, right there. Ty France is Ty France, and he's got the funny quips here and there, but they're all good-natured. You hear that too so it's uh we the ping pong got going you can say that that's going to be loud that hasn't happened quite yet um but yeah this is a team that gets along we just finished wrapped up talking with Luis Castillo and it took him no time whatsoever to get in this clubhouse last year look around and say yep this is where I want to be and sign an extension that doesn't happen and he again today said he felt comfortable here. It feels like family, and with the new guys that came in, they have an opportunity to make them family too, and that's important to him. So, you know, it's not just lip service when you have a guy that is signing a contract just a few weeks after arriving. There is definitely that feeling in this clubhouse. I read the uh, Tom Verducci articles. I'm sure you did as well on Jared Kelnick, and actually got to talk to Tom this morning, which was cool. Spend a little time hearing his thoughts on Kelnick and the Mariners, who he sounds awfully high on, which is cool. But I, I found myself thinking about the the swing changes and stuff with Kelnick and listening to his, I don't know if you'd call it a press conference, but with his, his scrum yesterday and some of the things he had to say, it, it sounds like he still feels like he's got to fix himself physically, whereas it, it feels like so many of his problems are not physical. It feels like they are either mental and or emotional. And, and I just... I hope when he was, you know, I don't know what kind of sense you got in, in sort of being around him that he was able to kind of work on that side of the game more than just the swing changes. Okay, that talk was actually a few days ago, so I okay. was not there for it. I listened to the same thing, and I barely had a, a high. I've been here for 24 hours, so I've not had an opportunity Sorry. to sit down with him yet. And for the record, I'm also mad at Verducci because I wanted to do the back um, sitting <laughs> story and that's like first on my list and I knew it wasn't really out there and well it's out there now in Sports Illustrated thanks Tom um, yeah but I would agree with you in that you know I hope it's it's not um, physical as far as you know as far as his physical makeup I had talked with scouts and they were concerned about where he was physically and the Mariners checked him out in the bat fitting and they, they put on all the sensors and everything else with the motion capture and in the, you know according to all of that uh, they're excited about that there he's right where he should be he's perfect according to that and you know you hear the stories of, of what he's able to do and you see it in batting practice you hear of what he's able to do in the cages and now they can replicate absolutely everything you see from a pitcher in the cages and he can hit everything so yeah what happens on that walk from the dugout to the batter's box 
at that point has pretty much got to be the difference. And uh, a lot of it, I, I think, has been pressure. We've talked about he's been brought up in the game differently. He certainly has put a lot of pressure on himself. Uh, he wanted to make the big splash. He pretty much assured and promised that he was going to make the big splash, and he got knocked down a little bit. So how does he deal with that? My my hope is that he's able to turn off all of that noise and just go be the athlete that he is. Mm-hmm. But it would appear that that has been the biggest stumbling block for him. And, and it, I mean, it is for many, and it can be the difference maker, and it's something that he is going to have to get past if he wants to tap into that talent. The good news is, is and we talked about this with Scott Service, not about Jared, but in general, uh, uh, the good news is, is people will look at him while he's 23 now and he's, he is what he's going to be and it hasn't happened. That's just not how baseball works anymore because there are so many avenues that you can go and so much help you can get to improve. Uh, the question is, is can you get there and how long is it going to take? And once again, he is a key piece of this Mariners team and their hopes going into a season and you hope that he has got it right. They're doing everything for him that they can. He's going out and getting all the help that he thinks that he can, but it's all going to come down to him in that batter's box. Shannon, I'm so excited. Can't wait to be down there. Uh, I get down Thursday and uh, we will do the show all next week and uh, certainly want to talk to you tomorrow and Thursday and all next week as well and kind of give us the scene down there. It's so exciting, man. It's just so cool to be talking about this. So uh, thank you for spending a few minutes. We'll talk tomorrow. Sounds good, Mike. All right, there you go. There is the great Shannon Dreyer and uh, read her notebook at seattlesports.com. She will keep everybody up to date. She's down there the whole time. She's got, she set up shop. She's ready to go. She'll be eating at all of the, you know, the great Glendale restaurants. You got uh, Golden Corral and Chili's and Applebee's. And, of course, you got the fast food group, right? So, yeah, she's uh, she'll be down there for the duration. All right. Coming up here uh, at 830, we're going to keep we're kind of switching all around today. A lot of football stuff, a lot of ba- a lot of baseball stuff. Uh, we've had Matt Miller on before ESPN NFL draft analyst. He's really good. Did a really cool mock draft with the Seahawks where uh, he does have them taking a quarterback, but not in the first round You can find out who that is and why coming up in about 20 minutes after everything you need to know next. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle sports on 710 seattlesports.com. need to know 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk here's what you need to know up first reporting day today for the full squad that means everybody is there at Mariners camp pretty exciting although honestly pitchers catchers WBC players other people who were there early I don't know how many more were left to show up today but it's pretty darn cool just to get this whole group together it's another step along the way and another good chance to see this team as a complete unit and when you do we're just talking to Shannon about it one of the things that jumps out to me is that there is a lot of stability there is a lot of sameness over the last couple of years and an opportunity for them to build on some of the chemistry that they've already established jerry kelnick speaking about that over the weekends yeah uh you know the good thing is we have a lot of the same guys as last year i think that's really exciting for everybody because we already have some history and then the new guys that are here i know a lot of guys in that clubhouse already know them so i think they're gonna fit right in Um, But that's the biggest thing is being able to have some sort of a connection with your teammates because those are the 
those are the best. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't be connected, you're not going to last long. I like that word connection. I like the word stability. And I think some of it is the other side of the conversation that we had throughout much of the soft season. And people who were upset, they wanted the Mariners to bring in more pieces, add more, add, add, add. And I understand some of that. I'm not saying I even completely disagree with it. But one of the advantages of not going in that direction is some of that stability, is some of that foundation that you can build upon rather than needing to start it from scratch. Rotation set for the start of spring training games this week. Marco Gonzalez will be on the hill for the opener of the Cactus League on Saturday. Matt Brash is going to pitch in that game as well. Luis Castillo, who met with the media this morning, will throw Tuesday. I will definitely be there and excited to see my man Luis in person. I'll have my uh, I'm going to bring a movie ghost for him to sign more how's that sound a little dvd copy of ghost he can sign it for me uh no logan gilbert no george kirby in the early going as they're going to be rested before uh, trying to keep them a little more fresh over the course of this season here's the second thing you need to know the franchise tag window is open though i don't think i would expect anybody to actually be tagged anytime soon the deadline isn't until march 8th and usually nothing happens until that deadline is gino a possibility yeah i guess so I don't think it's going to happen, but certainly that conversation is not impossible. Seahawks, what they really need is uh, defensive linemen, and I saw the Athletic listed them as uh, the number one need for this team over the offseason. And what was interesting to me was that there were only two other teams that had defensive line as their top need, Kansas City and Cleveland. So hopefully, if you're out there trying to rebuild this defensive line, you're one of the few teams that is truly desperate to do so, and hopefully that helps the market for some of those other defensive linemen uh, to maybe fall to you. Coaching changes continue. Seahawks going back to the Rams tree to find their new quarterback coach, Greg Olson, who's actually been around the league for quite some time, but he did work with Shane Waldron while he was there. They also lose defensive assistant Aaron Curry, uh, who is going to go be the linebackers coach in Pittsburgh. Congratulations to DK Metcalf, who showed off his athleticism in the NBA All star celebrity game. Oh, 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 wait. Trying to make a pass. Uh, oh, oh. Watch out, watch out for the train. We got Zion Williams. He can make Williams. a good decision. Oh, Rachel. Oh, no. Say it with your chest. DK, the dunking machine. <laughs> I can already see some early smoke from DK Metcalf. Some early smoke. DK, so let's see. In the last couple off seasons, he has won the MVP now of the all star celebrity game and raced the 100-yard dash, right, at uh, a cent- or 100-meter dash, I guess it would be, at essentially an Olympic pace or very close to it. What an absolute freak show athlete. By the way, he did confirm an NFL drug test came his way the next day. No, oh, I would bet. Yeah, all- probably the three of them. Yeah, uh, take these because you're inhuman. You're just super, superhuman. Here's the third thing you need to know. Uh, up and down weekend for the Kraken. It was up on Friday. It looked great. Beat Detroit. Uh, Jordan Eberle with a couple of goals. Matty Beneers was tremendous. His best game in a while. And then just the exact opposite yesterday. Total egg laid in San Jose. They were down 4 nothing. They lost to a not a very good team either, the Sharks. So uh, hopefully that was a trap game before Boston comes to town on Thursday. Maybe they're gearing up mentally 
for that one. The one thing I will say right now about the Kraken, Phil Grubauer is back to being their number one goaltender, and it's fairly clear when you're watching him. I mean, he, he is playing the best hockey since he has arrived here in Seattle, and I thought Friday night was probably the best game he's played, period. Great, great golf tournament this past weekend at Riviera. John Rahm ends up outlasting Max Homa for the win at the Genesis Invitational. It seemed very special to him. I've been extremely disciplined my whole career, but uh, right now I'm seeing the dividends of a lot of the hard work over the years, right? So it's um, just keep doing the small things and uh, and keep enjoying and having fun. Obviously, when you're playing good, it's really fun, and when you're winning tournaments, it's extremely fun, but uh, got to enjoy the tough moments as well. So he, he was great, and he's playing golf right now at such a high level, I and mean, he's just top three, it seems like, every time he goes out there. So really fun to watch. Tiger played well, not perfectly and he was inconsistent but there were some vintage tiger moments that's for sure clearly there's still little of that in there he's going to play he says in all four majors this year if his body will let him all right there you go that is everything you need to know and uh, we do that quarter past every hour here on the new brock and salk show yeah dk's a freak man i mean just the athletic gifts that he has they they do at times feel superhuman, right? I mean, just the ability, I mean, tracking down one of the fastest players in the league the way he did, right? Jumping the way he can. I mean, you just go back to, to, to the shirt off picture of him. It's just, there's, I, I've said it before, when you see him in person up close, it looks like his skin is like stretched so tight across his body that like, it like, like it's almost gotten thin because there's so much muscle underneath that it's like almost translucent. It's crazy. And then you find out that he has candy delivered every day and like right. just yeah. only drinks shakes and eats dinner. Screw him. Um. Right? He's like, oh yeah, what do you do? Oh, I work out a little bit and then I just eat junk food all day and I'm like the most ripped human alive. I will say Great. he was dunking all over everyone and blocking shots left and right. But did you see him like when he stole the ball and broke away? Him dribbling down the field was a bit of a challenge. Not good. Because <laughs> like, he is so big. <laughs> yeah. It was like very, there may have been some traveling. Okay. Well, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't get to watch, but I will see if I can go. Far. You know, what I would like to see is put DK in the NHL All-Star game and see how that would have worked. Could he translate on skates? Hmm? In my head, I thought I said down the field there. Sorry, down the court. That's okay. I think we knew what you meant. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anybody thinks that you think that uh, they play. playing so many different sports. The dude's everywhere. Yeah, the track, the field, the court, you name it. DK is everywhere. All right, where do they find the next DK? Where do they find the next great uh, draft pick here in Seattle? Matt Miller is going to join us to tell us next. And, yes, he does have a quarterback in the first four picks for the Seahawks. Who is it? We'll find out next. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. An opportunity to speak this morning with Tom Verducci from Sports Illustrated. Uh, talking to Jared Kelnick with him. We'll play some of the most important things we heard coming up at 9.30 an hour from now. Uh, but as we get ever closer to the NFL draft, excited to talk to our buddy Matt Miller, ESPN NFL draft analyst at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter, and uh, one of my favorites to talk draft with. His recent mock draft is out. I uh, tweeted it out last night. You should read it. It's two rounds, and it's got four very interesting picks for the Seahawks. So, Matt, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. It's good to hear from you again. 
Absolutely. So let me walk through this a little bit, and uh, we'll start with the that number five pick because I'm going to put you in the category of the most common of all the mocks I've seen. The one thing that seems to be most standard is the Seahawks going with Tyree Wilson at number five. Do you think that's the direction they end up? I think right now, you know, I mean, pre combine, pre free agency, um, I feel really comfortable with that. I think you look at. You know, the way this front office has operated in the past, I think you can look at which positions are, are premium positions that you really need to build a team around and the way this draft class is stacked. You know, there's not a left tackle. You're going to draft in the top five. Obviously, Seattle has a good one in Charles Cross. He got in the top ten last year. There's not a wide receiver. You're going to draft in the top five. There's probably not going to be a quarterback if Geno Smith comes back. So I think you look at, okay, what's left? So the need and the value and the positional value, it all lines up. You know, Tyree Wilson's a special, special player. Uh, I think he's going to crush it at the combine. And, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot like last year where we all thought Aiden Hutchinson was like the dude, right? Like he's going to go first, he's going to go first. And then it ends up being Trevon Walker in large part because of what he did at the combine. So I think with, with Tyree Wilson, with Miles Murphy, those are, are guys that Will Anderson should be a little bit nervous about how well they're going to perform. Hmm. Is there a significant gap between the two defensive players, Carter and Anderson, and then Tyree Wilson? I I think so. Mostly, I think it's what they were asked to do and then how they were tested. So Jalen Carter at Georgia, Will Anderson at Alabama, I mean, you're going to get the best of the best every week. At Texas Tech, you know, the Big 12 is not necessarily known for putting offensive tackles into the NFL. Um, so I think... Tyree, it's more of you have to have a little bit of an imagination of, okay, the length is there, the power is there, the first step quickness is fantastic, but, like, who is he doing it against? And so I think that's where you, again, you have to have that, you know, vision for how you're going to use him. I think with Will Anderson, we saw over the last two years, just absolute domination against, you know, SEC offensive linemen against, and then in the college football playoffs. Same for Jalen Carter, while, you know, was hurt this year, you know, he had the sprained ankle, then he had the knee. When he was healthy, he was unstoppable. And you go back to last year, 2021, in a defense that had four or five first-round picks, and he was the best one. You know, he was the best player on that team. So I think that that's where with those guys, you probably feel a little bit safer about them as prospects. Mm. So what um, what do you do? If they go both in the top two or the top four, let's say, rather, and, you know, just like your, your mock draft where – Young, Levis, Anderson, Carter are all gone. You get to to number four or to number five, rather. Do you take Tyree or do you trade out if you're the Seahawks at that point for somebody who would like to come down and try to get another quarterback? I think you have to keep the phone lines open. You know, this isn't like when Dave Gettleman was the GM of the Giants and was like, we're taking Saquon at two no matter what, right? You have to. You got to keep that phone open because, you know, if it is a team like the Raiders that wants to come up, you know, two spots from seven to five and they're, you know, Hey, we're going to draft the quarterback. We got to come up to five. Then I think you can move out or, you know, the Carolina Panthers at nine is probably as far as I would want to go because then you feel like you're still getting a Tyree Wilson, maybe Tyree Wilson, maybe miles Murphy. They're still in range there. Uh, I'm not one of those people that believes you should get out of the top 10 this year. I don't think the draft is deep enough to trade back that far. So if somebody, if you knew somebody was coming up for one of those quarterbacks, I think you could slide back a little bit. Otherwise, you draft Tyree Wilson and feel really, really good 
about you know having a I think a frontline pass rusher that you can kind of build that defensive line around. What are the chances that somebody you know the three quarterbacks go in the top four, and you do have a chance at either Carter or Anderson? Yeah, I think I, I definitely think that's a possibility. Especially you know we got to see what happens with the trades a little bit. I think that's going to be wild this year. But, I mean, sure, we could see Chicago trade out. There's a quarterback. Houston is, is most likely going to take a quarterback. If Indianapolis at four is not the team that trades up to one, you could very realistically have three quarterbacks in the top four picks, and then you're in a fantastic position because you have either Will Anderson or Jalen Carter at five, which is, I think, a dream scenario. And then you, you just take the best one, and, and you've got your guy. Yeah, that would be – I mean, I think that's what everyone here is hoping happens. Right, I think everyone is hoping mm-hmm. that one of those two guys is available. Certainly, I am. If not, what does it cost to move up from five to four? Yeah, I think probably not much. It depends on who has the pick. I think that's the thing. So, you know, if Indianapolis is sitting there at four, they're not trading because they're drafting a quarterback. If Chicago has gone from pick number one to pick number four, and you're like, hey, you know, we want to we swap spots. It, it might not be as expensive. I don't think you're looking at a future first-round pick situation uh, because you're, you're not moving up that far and you're not moving up for a, for a quarterback, most likely. That always is what changes the cost of everything is. If you're trading up to get a quarterback, you know, the Jets moved up several years ago to get Sam Darnold at three. You know, that, that got costly because everybody knew they were coming to get a quarterback or you could – I think with a, a spot like that, you could almost look at the, you know, the Mitchell Trubisky trade in 2017, where the the Bears went from three to two, and it, it didn't cost the future first. It was, you know, a couple, I think, a second round pick, a third round pick. So it's it's certainly possible, but it it all depends on the player who's there, really. I notice that you have Levis pretty significantly ahead of uh, of C.J. Stroud. Is that your opinion, or is that what you think NFL teams are going to think? Yeah, that is not my opinion. That is more what I think teams will do. Uh, I, I think, you know, we're going to find out so much in Indy next week when it gets to like the medicals and the interviews and stuff. But I remain bullish on the fact that NFL teams overthink this every year. <laughs> you know, it's the reason Zach Wilson goes ahead of Justin Fields. It's let's overthink, you know, the, the boom plays. Let's overthink the arm strength. Let's over, you know, overthink the one year wonders instead of like, Hey, who is really good the last two to three years at playing quarterback in college football at a, a high-level program that played against high-level competitors. But it, instead, you know, we all, we, and I, I've fallen victim to it myself, overthink it. And so I think Will Levis, he's a talented young man. Uh, everything I've heard is he's a you know, fantastic leader. He's incredibly intelligent. He's tough. But, you know, his accuracy is, is an issue for me. <laughs> and a guy who, you know, he throws the ball, you have no idea where it's going to go. That scares me. Um, now, I do, I understand the upside and the intrigue of, and maybe we could clean that up and fix it up, but I don't see he or you know Anthony Richardson of Florida as being guys that they're ready to go out there right away and you know be like Justin Herbert was you know as a rookie where you're like oh okay yeah or, or Joe Burrow you know before he got hurt where you see that they're automatically ready to play at that level. I think Levis and and Richardson are both guys you're going to have to learn and grow with when they're on the field. Yeah, it's interesting. We're talking to Matt Miller, uh, who covers the draft for ESPN, has a great mock draft out two rounds. And I want to talk to you about the second round actually coming up here in a few minutes. But um, it it, it sort of dawns on me that Josh Allen has maybe uh, changed some of that, maybe not for the good. Right. This is a guy who 
came out of nowhere, right? Wasn't it a big time program? Did not have any of the accuracy at all, but was big and strong and physical and could run. And it feels like now everyone's pointing at the fact that he seemed to become more accurate over time and says, okay, well, maybe that can be Richardson. Maybe that can be Levis, et cetera. I wonder if he ends up really benefiting a lot of those guys, just as Russell Wilson did for some of the shorter, more mobile quarterbacks after he had success in the NFL. Oh yeah. I mean, I think you can go back even before that, you know, Cam Newton being a one-year starter at Auburn and, and, you know, changing the game. Uh, I think, you know, there've been guys like, you know, Zach Wilson was, you know, really a one-year wonder at BYU. Trey Lance played one year at at NDSU. So I think there is that idea of let's take the trait based guy uh, who has a lot of promise and potential and we can, we can kind of clean him up. You know, I, I evaluated Josh in person multiple times while he was at Wyoming. And I, I think the the key there is, he knew that he had work to do, you know, and, and that will be the, the, you know, the, I think crucial interview point with these guys, all these quarterbacks is, you know, none of them are perfect. What, and you're going to have to find out, are they going to be willing to, you know, do what Josh did, which was basically move in with Jordan Palmer in Southern California and relearn how to play quarterback, starting with his, his footwork. And I, I think for Richardson and Levis, you look at their accuracy issues, like that's where it all starts is at the base. So it's finding out, are you going to put that work in? You know, you hear stories about guys who, you know, whether it be Carson Wentz or Kyler Murray or Aaron Rodgers, who, you know, maybe at this point in their careers just don't don't have that drive anymore, that that push to be great. I think that's what you got to find out is, you know, do these guys all have that that are they wired, you know, to where when they're <laughs> millionaires on Thursday night, are they going to want to push to be great or are they they kind of content? So that's that's the hard part of the job, right? Is you could look at will leave us and say, yeah, kind of looks like Josh Allen did, but it also kind of looks like Carson Wentz did. And that, that kind of crashed and burned pretty quickly. So sure. that's, that's why it's so incredibly tough to find that guy. What about, uh, what about Hendon Hooker? I noticed that you had the Seahawks taken him with the second of their two second round picks in your latest mock. Uh, he's old for, you know, a college case, 25 years old or whatever, but why Hendon Hooker? I, so I like Hendon Hooker, and I, I may be an outlier here. I haven't talked to a lot of uh, NFL people about him because he is older. He's 25. He is coming off a knee injury, so he's not a guy that, that you know gets talked about a lot. But I look at what he did at Tennessee the last two years, and he is a fantastic deep ball thrower. He moves very well in the pocket. He's, he does not turn the ball over. He threw 58 touchdowns to five interceptions. And in a vertical tempo offense, that's not like being, you know, throwing check downs and screens. That is a tacking down the field. And, you know, he did it with, you know, his number one receiver, Cedric Tillman goes down. Well, boop, here comes Jalen Hyatt. And then there's Brew McCoy. And like, he, he spread the ball around so well that I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he might be, he might be 26 years old when it happens, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hendon Hooker starts in the NFL just because he, he he's set I and mean, he's accurate. He understands leverage and he understands timing and, you know, he sets these guys up to make plays after the catch. I think, you know, if he were if he were 22 and healthy, I think we'd be talking about a first-round quarterback instead of a second- or third-round guy. You know, it's funny. I, I hear you with that description of him, and that sounds like a Pete Carroll quarterback, right? Doesn't turn the ball over and throws right. the ball deep exceedingly well. I don't know if it sounds like a Shane Waldron, Rams, Sean McVay scheme quarterback, though, where it seems like some of those mid-range throws are a whole lot more important. Yeah, I think it's more – I think he's capable of that. What's exciting to me is the, is the deep ball. You know, so it is that, 
you know, not turning the ball over while being aggressive down the field. But I, I think you can look at some of the things they did early this past year with the, the yards after catch stuff when it was, you know, going to players like Cedric Tillman, when it was going to Brew McCoy and, you know, when they, they got the run game going, it was a little bit more timing based, but uh, you know, I don't know that he's, you know, that dissimilar from Geno Smith. Who I know Geno doesn't have the strongest arm, but he throws a beauty as far as the deep ball goes. You know, he has that nice arc on it. He knows how to layer it in. I think, I think Hendon's very similar in that, you know, and also a guy who's not super big, but just tough and smart in the pocket. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with your quarterback depth chart there is, is empty as of right now, you know, until some guys get re-signed, but uh, that is the type of player from what I've heard that you would, you want that in your locker room as well. You is know, he, he's just a really, really good leader. Everybody loved him. Is he your fifth quarterback off the board? I, I forgot. Did you have Richardson ahead of him? I had Richardson ahead of him, uh, so he's my fifth quarterback. He's a tough year, Mike, for quarterbacks. It really is like I can't get excited about Tanner McKee coming out of Stanford. <laughs> that offense was not fun to watch, but, you know, there's there's just not a lot of pop on the tape there. And I think otherwise, you know, you're starting to look at, at guys who are mid to late day three and mostly project as, as good NFL backups. Richardson is what for you? I mean, he's the other name we've sort of tossed around here as, you know, maybe at the 20 pick, maybe in the second round. What do you make of Richardson? I, the tools are rare. I I could probably count on one hand over the past 15 years, quarterbacks I've seen who just have his rare ability, you know, six, four, two he's out running people. He has, he has the biggest arm in the draft class, but you know, he's just, you never know what, where the ball's going. It's, you know, he was not good under pressure. He started 13 games. He's thrown under 400 passes. You know, his touchdown to interception ratio was, was like 24 to 15. It's just, you haven't seen enough. And so I think with him is you're truly drafting a work in progress. So for me, I have him graded as a like number 29 overall, something like that, 25 to 29 overall. And I see it as like a guy who's like, okay, he has a lot of work to do. If you draft him in the top 10 or 15, which is very possible, but if you draft him that early, he's expected to be something. You know, He's expected to be your quarterback of the future pretty quickly. And if you draft him in the late half, you know, it's a Jordan Love situation where it's like, okay, we know this guy needs time to sit and wait. So in that, I think, yes, Seattle would be a fantastic spot for him because at pick 20, you're not being expected to come in and unseat anybody. But it's also nice insurance in case this mm-hmm. year was, you know, a genie in a bottle year for Geno Smith. And if not, you know, Geno's a little bit, you know, a bit older. He's a veteran at this point. Having someone learn behind a quarterback who's going to turn 33 this season is not the worst thing. If you're a Seahawks fan uh, getting ready to watch the combine, which is what, next week or whenever it is? Uh, what are Next you... week, yeah. Yeah, next week. All right. So if you're a C... if, if, what advice would you give to a Seahawks fan watching the combine? Who should they be paying some attention to there? Yeah, I think we go back to the defensive ends. You know, Miles Murphy from Clemson is going to put on a show. He's 275, and he's going to run in the high four fives. He's going to jump over 35 inches. He's going to rep out 225, probably like 25 or 30 times. Tyree Wilson is another guy. I mean, he's going to have a fantastic combine. You can just see watching them move you know, how athletically gifted they are. So I think those are, are probably the two guys. If you're looking at, hey, who do we take at five? Those are our two players. They're ranked six and seven overall for me. They're going to be there like you and I were talking about. So I, I think that's where I would spend a lot of my attention is watching the defensive ends work out. And then, you know, I always love watching the wide receivers because you can never have enough of them in this day and age. 
And you know, watching those those go routes, watching the the way they track the ball, seeing the explosion and the speed and the body control. That's all pretty exciting for me. I saw that you actually, and I'll just end there maybe and talk for a moment about Jackson Smith and Jigba, who you had uh, the Seahawks taken at number 20. Personally, I'd kind of like to see them trade out of 20, maybe even for an established NFL player. I just, I keep coming back to the fact that A.J. Brown went for number 18 and some other stuff last year and saying, not that I want them to trade for another wide receiver, but, you know, is that a spot you could get another defensive end or a defensive tackle who could be a difference maker by trading away the number 20 pick? But if it doesn't happen that way and they do end up with someone like Smith and Jigba, what kind of a weapon would he be for an NFL team like the Seahawks with their offense? I think, you know, best case scenario, it's CeeDee Lamb, you know, type of type of player, you know, Keenan Allen, somebody who just makes things easy for your quarterback with how great of a route runner he is, you know, his understanding of, of how to get open. I, I, lo- I think he's the best receiver in the draft, number one. It, it sucks that, you know, he had the hamstring injury and we didn't see him play last year. But I remember the Rose Bowl against Utah where he had, mm-hmm. like, 370 yards and just could not be stopped. And, you know, he's six foot, 200 pounds. So he's not the biggest guy, but he plays big and he, he plays physically and he also has speed. And man, I just don't know that I'm willing to bet against Ohio state wide receivers right now, either. <laughs> this track record is pretty dang good of, of guys coming out of Ohio state, the Brian Hartline is developing. So I, I do think, you know, he would be obviously, you know, the depth chart there is, is good. You have, you know, very good players in DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, um, but I think he slots in, you know, he can play on the inside and be that number three receiver that eventually becomes your number two or your number one, even great stuff, Matt. I really appreciate it. Uh, for those who, uh, haven't uh, become acquainted yet with Matt Miller, uh, really worth your time focusing here in the NFL draft, uh, at NFL draft scout, and you can read him at ESPN.com. Go see that mock draft. Hey man, we appreciate it. Thank you. Let's talk again as we get close. Yeah, man, let's do it. Thanks. All right, excellent. There you go. Good stuff uh, from Matt Miller, who I think has really come on at ESPN in the last year or two and really uh, has added another depth to their uh, to their uh, NFL draft coverage. By the way, speaking of draft coverage, as we were talking, Daniel Jeremiah dropped his latest mock draft. Guess who he has the Seahawks taken at number five? Will Anderson Jr. How about that? No. Well, in his mock... Jalen Carter goes one, Bryce Young two, Tyree Wilson goes number three to Arizona. He says that he could be the first pass rusher off the board, that there's a lot of love for Wilson around the league. Combination of size, length, and production has teams very intrigued. All right. Well, apparently he's been mocked so many times at number five that now all of a sudden he's up there to number three. And then he has CJ Stroud going four. And so the Seahawks are sitting there very happy at number five, taking Will Anderson Jr., edge rusher out of Alabama. I think that would be a home run if it ended up going on that way. So, uh, yeah, pretty cool. Look, there's so many different directions. I will admit to being intrigued by what he said about um, about Hendon Hooker. Right. If you can throw the deep ball and you don't turn the ball over, you can play quarterback for Pete Carroll. Right. And you got a little athleticism. You can throw in the run and some of those things. Great. I have not watched him play. I, I'm going to have to spend some time. I will admit, I don't think I've watched Tennessee play football. Uh, I don't know, since Peyton Manning was there. I, I mean, like, that's just not on my list of things that I care about. But, but I'll take a look. Quarterback aficionado take this year off because there's not that many. to. Uh, get no, I about. just haven't spent my time digging back into some it's of these. Early. I used a lot of my aficionado status on uh, Michael Penix, who I declared <laughs> to be good. Uh, but I'll go back and, and take a look at him and, and figure out whether or not he's somebody that I would like for the Seahawks. But that's an intriguing name in the second round. Right. I like the idea of the Seahawks taking a second round quarterback. I, almost no matter what. 
I don't think you can do it at number five. I don't think there's anybody there that I feel good enough about that I want them to take. Yeah. 20, still probably not. I think you just need too much help defensively, and I think both those picks need to go to address defense in some way. Second round? Mm. Yeah, I think you probably need to draft a quarterback, even if you sign Geno Smith. I think you need to be developing that next guy. I think you need an Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes situation at that point with a second rounder. So, yeah, whether it's Hendon Hook or somebody else, I'm not prepared yet to say who. I do like the idea of a second round pick going to the quarterback position. This is such a weird quarterback draft. Like, I I feel like most people are saying that there's not that many that good, but then you have Todd McShay saying that Bryce Young reminds him of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And the, Brock the loves that guy. Trade Justin Fields. Hey. We'll see, right? I mean, he's he's small, but if he's got some of those leadership qualities that everybody loves, and he's found ways to win, and this, that, and the other, I don't know, I'd, I'd always be a little bit, a little nervous with uh, the Alabama guy. But um, I don't know. I saw that. I saw this this morning. I thought I would just sort of throw it out here. Maybe we'll spend some more time on it tomorrow. I don't know who this is. This is from somebody named Anand Nanduri, uh, who uh, does some NFL work, and he said quarterback situations in the NFL, and he's got five. One, having Patrick Mahomes, best case scenario. Two, having a guy on a rookie contract that can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, et cetera. Okay, understood. We've talked a lot about that. Three, having a guy on an expensive deal that can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, eventually that will be Joe Burrow, right? Some of the best guys in the league. Understood. Okay, fine. Four, having a rookie you drafted and are developing. Okay, that's a situation, right? It's not quite as good as number two, where he's already good, but still on a rookie deal. But you're hoping to get number two out of that, right? Where he can go toe-to-toe with Mahomes. Number five, overpaying for average. And the last thing he says, get out of number five. The question that the Seahawks have to figure out is Geno Smith, part of number three, group three, can he go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and make a lot of money? If so, sign him. Is he part of another group here that isn't that is average but isn't overpaid? What is what is not overpaying for average? And that's where we start talking about some of these numbers that I don't think are going to be acceptable to Geno Smith. 20, 25, maybe even 30 million, somewhere in that range. That's not overpaying for average or maybe even in this case above average. But I think that's the point he's making because he only has however many characters. Average to me means not elite in this case, right? Not overpaying for not elite. Huh? Kirk Cousins. Cousins. Yeah, absolutely. Would be another good example of it. And they're overpaying for Kirk Cousins. And that's a mistake in Minnesota. He's been getting overpaid for years. For years. He's tremendous at the business game of football. (laughs) So how do you how do you avoid being in the overpaying for not elite category? Either by getting elite or by not overpaying. And that's that's what this is going to come down to for the Seahawks and Geno Smith. I don't think he's in the Patrick Mahomes category. I don't know if he's in the go toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes when getting paid a lot of money category. So if that's the case, you can't pay him like that. And if somebody else wants to, fine. And if he will come back and play at a reasonable rate, then I think you got an interesting conversation. But either way, 
one of those first four picks, and for me it's probably one of the two second rounders, probably needs to go to some future development of a quarterback so that you can also be in category four just in case where you are developing a rookie to try to turn him into the quarterback you want him to be.